Welcome everybody to First Principles Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to all subjects, environmental, cultural, political, all that fun stuff we break down from the ground up. Today's episode is going to be focused on Climate Trace, which is a new initiative from our good friend Al Gore. And uh, you may be familiar with him as the former presidential nominee in the U.S. or maybe for some of his uh, environmental stuff where um, he made the movie in- and Inconvenient Truth, where back in the days it was very impactful when it was first released because of its really extreme claims of the climate disasters that were impending. And of course, uh, very little, if any of them really came true. And I guess uh, Al Gore, since he's been so successful with his uh, environmental work, he's uh, continuing more with Climate Trace. And um, let's, let's get more into what Climate Trace is all about. You want to uh, give a quick look, your thoughts on that real quick, Elliot? Sure. We have arrived. The technology we've been hoping for for centuries, it's here. Big brother in the sky. <laughs> okay, damn. This is um, that's this one is, way of putting it. This is this is groundbreaking. <laughs> uh, what is Climate Trace? Climate Trace is using satellite, uh, so remote sensing on satellites, uh, imagery uh, of different sorts, along with AI, artificial intelligence, uh, deep learning algorithms, and an assortment of databases on the ground level to pinpoint different sources of CO2 across the globe. So it is a way of monitoring CO2 emissions uh, at a finer grain level. And it is uh, a new technology in a sense. Um, It is a program that just came online last year and its current database takes a look at co2 emissions over the last five years with the actual um finer details looking at uh co2 in the last year year and a half so that is what climate trace is climate trace is a new way of monitoring co2 emissions yeah, it's uh, truly what they claim is very uh, groundbreaking and, and revolutionary, right? Because um, what they say is that before there's been um, ag- data sets, but they've never really been aggregated and they're kind of all over the place and they're missing uh, information. It's very costly in order to get, uh, for example, to a location and measure the emissions from any given spot. And they say they state how that's one of the challenges that this technology really helps uh, people overcome. So instead of going to each uh, polluter, going to each mine, going to each steel co- uh, mill, uh, pr- production facility, whatever, and measuring the emissions directly from there, you are able to essentially. Uh, take these uh, data sets and make essentially best guesses is how I'll put it, which 
uh, there's so much to talk about with this and I have so much so many thoughts uh, just about their claims about the real-time monitoring so I just want to uh, clarify the the definition that you put out there and, and state the the three principles that they state that it, the climate trace is based right. on sure so number one is based off of the geo uh, spatial data and satellite uh, data that they have and um, more specifically that they publicly source. So they're sourcing this data from public databases. That's one of the brilliance of the of this whole climate trace initiative as they claim. So they don't actually own any of the uh, satellites from which they get data, but rather they through what they claim the advent of more satellites collecting more data uh, in recent years um, and uh, more sharing they, as a result of that, are able to take that data and aggregate it. Um, so that's one. They're, they're taking this this uh, the satellite data. Number two is they're actually taking emissions data from countries that have been reported globally. Um, so they're actually, say, for example, if you're the U.S. EPA, right, and you're in track of or you're in charge of tracking the emissions from uh, auto companies or, or whatever, you have to make this data public. Same for um, Environment Climate Change Canada, whatever it may be. And there's huge data sets that exist. So that's the second input. It's taking these two uh, data sets. Uh, so again, first you have the satellite data. Number two, you have the emissions data from um, public, again, everything is public information as they claim. Number three, this is where things get interesting and we have machine learning where they actually take the photographs, take the satellite data, take the emissions data, and they're able to learn and essentially teach the algorithm when certain uh, polluters, certain maybe a factory might be on or off. Uh, when, uh, for example, you might be able to see with the satellite imagery that a coal power fire plant is actually operating or is it off? Right, and um, one of the things actually in the in their uh, report study actually shows images and where they say, okay, this is when it's on, this is when it's off, and funny enough, one of the images is totally white and blank when you can't see anything, and yet they claim that it's on. So it's it seems like it has a tendency for a false positive, which would be just one easy well cloud cover, right? Because quite literally, they were showing in that figure uh, the visual in in um visible light the yeah the, the uh plume that was coming out of the stacks right yeah 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 exactly exactly that's the one um so with uh again these uh, the that third uh component of the ai the machine learning their what their claim is though is that they are not only able to tell you where the emissions are taking place when the emissions are taking place but also how much the emissions are taking place and to me uh, uh, that is the, that last one is the one that i have the biggest uh, beef with or the biggest uh, issue with um the when 
we just discovered or, or we just discussed really quickly a quick criticism of you know saying when it's emitting is relatively easy but of course when you have cloud cover and you have uh you know visual just uh, illusions that take place naturally when these things are happening that it's easy to have maybe a false positive or, or some sort of level of inaccuracy but again when it comes to how much and their claim to be able to tell you how much of a, the pollution is taking place that's where i have the most issue with yeah the, that third component the the ai and the machine learning is is what makes this revolutionary and i think what i what i get the sense is that they're going to use places in the u.s as way of calibrating their algorithm so for example you, the u.s if you can't get to the china to actually go what is that power plant emitting you're going to look at satellite imagery of a plant in the u.s you're going to take exact emissions uh data from the ground calibrate it with your uh, imagery from your top and try to develop something that that is able to identify that because it's tricky to do they, they are also talking about how uh, you know, methane is easier to identify uh, at a global level compared to CO two because of the background concentrations. And oh yeah, that was a, that was such a that was another point I actually had beef with. Sorry, say say that again because I, I, I want to highlight something. So say that again. Sure. I want to point out how, how my criticism of it. Yeah. So going back or to finish the, your thought. Finish your thought. All, so, I, yeah. all, all I'm all I'm saying is that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they're going to try to calibrate their um, AI using ground data and the satellite image in places they have control over and can, can get accurate measurements from, right? Other places that maybe are not playing ball or not willing to give accurate information, according to them, uh, those they're, they're going to be guessing at those numbers using the algorithms that they calibrated in places that that have played ball with them, but there are obviously issues with still even the AI's ability to, to detect accurately those numbers. And I think that's where we get into some of the squirreliness of it. But I wanted to say they were talking about in that report, the complication that background levels of CO2 have on a detecting modern outputs or uh, anthropogenic human made outputs of CO2. Yeah. Um, and how it, they were claiming it's easier for methane, but I feel like, you had something to say on that. Right. And uh, my, my main thought on that right away was if you're struggling with that <laughs> right now, then like that just makes me question your whole technology because that should be easy, right? Okay, because what, what is hmm. their claim? Hmm. Um, this background concentration of 400 ppm makes it tough to detect the concentration of CO2 emissions at these assets, as they call it, as these plant source emissions, right? So my my issue with that is that when you look at a plume, right, that's coming out of a stack from some sort of coal power plant, right, the concentration from that plume is going to be way higher than 400 ppm, like background concentration or not, like you that's not going to be hindering your capacity to detect the concentration of that plume if you're struggling with that then that's where i'm like okay this is what about uh, what about all the sources that are uh of a concentration closer to that 400 and less but maybe are 
you know, on the, like something like uh, some agricultural practices or something like that. That's where it's not maybe I'm not, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I don't know all the details on on levels of emission of CO two, but it, it maybe there's there could be a a large contributor that sits in that about the same concentration as current or less than that are just hard to to pinpoint now because of that you know what i'm saying such as such as well i don't know I, that's what i mean like I, I i would i'm guessing the only thing that i can think of that's not as concentrated potentially not as concentrated would be um some forms of agriculture or just like leaky uh landfills that are just very low level and maybe highly diluted pretty quickly they're not they're not meant to be emitting out of a a stack or pipe at any level they're just kind of more just leaky background concentrations well landfills would be more for uh, methane. methane right that's true but uh, so I, again i go back to my my premise so 400 ppm what what is the product of any combustion CO2 and water. Okay, CO2 and water. So when it comes to uh, a, a, a methane, right, a natural gas power plant, the product of that combustion is going to be CO2 plus H2O. This is just our basic chemistry. So when it comes to the emissions that are coming out of that giant stack that's 100 meters into the air, that giant cloud we have essentially CO2 mixed with a bunch of other crap, you know, incomplete combustion. It's not 100%. But you have a, the, the purest, essentially, concentration of CO2 that could be coming out at any at a point source. And yet you're telling me the background concentration of 400 ppm is too much for you to be able to detect that? That, to me, tells me that your technology is not as good as you're telling the public that it is well and that's that's just it right i when i read the report that anybody can find on the climate trace website um it is filled with buzzwords uh and uh it's making a pretty big claim in terms of what it's saying it's capable of doing um but maybe we'll get more into the nitty-gritty details. But I will say, consider this as a pitch, right? I want, actually, this is a great time to maybe jump into some clips I got. So there is a two, three-minute video that has been put together uh, with uh, Al Gore voicing over it, um, discussing what climate trace is. And I want, as we go go through this, everybody to listen specifically to the language the words used because and, and then these buzzwords in terms of up and coming technology ai um, machine learning that type of thing and then also listen to as we do on the show the background musical bed and <laughs> i mean it's very telling in itself but i mean that is the state of of entertainment so yes. um what I always have that emotional spike with the music, you know? Yeah. Just to Never remind question. you <laughs> that even don't, don't listen to what we're saying <laughs> yeah. so much and think about how that makes you feel. Listen to yeah. how the music is making you feel. It's a sub communication. It's a sub communication. Yeah. 
There you go. There you go. And, and one uh, small thing, actually, I don't know if it's a small thing that's worth getting into right now, but just uh, in terms of like a criticism that I have, do you think it's worth saving for afterwards or now that I should say? But it's okay. It's essentially related to the overall premise or the over the, the, the meta uh, narrative that Climate Trace is trying to push is that it's focused on transparency mm. right it's, it's focused on holding people accountable holding the assets the uh companies oh. down to the airplane they claim they're down to the airplane they're able to track it and yet they can't okay anyways i don't <laughs> not to go back down that rabbit hole but they're claiming that they can track it down to the airplanes and ships so with that with that whole sense of transparency that they're trying to hold the uh polluters accountable what i don't appreciate is from the report that they have that when you enter their website and you download it and then it's uh, apparently speaks about their methodology of how they do their thing it is very untransparent in terms of how they're actually generating the results and more specifically what are the errors associated with them and also what were the calibration results and all these like when you get into the obviously the nuances and the nitty-gritty of how this modeling game works that transparency of you know what are their assumptions how do how do these things work that isn't there and to me that is hypocritical and shows a, a, a disingenuous nature when you are claiming to be out there trying to hold people accountable. It's all about transparency, but yet you are not being transparent in the methodologies that you're using to actually generate your, your results. You just have this black box where you have uh, these these inputs and then boom, we'll, we'll tell you this stuff. We're the yeah. grand magicians. We'll, we have all the answers. Well, wh wh how? What are, what are you doing? What's the actual... It's not a... Oh, we're we're working with experts, uh, leading the climate science. Da, da, da. That's not enough. You actually actually show your work, show your fucking work, man. That stuff <laughs> pisses me off, and uh, so that's my little rant on that. Well, I, and I want to come back to that exact <laughs> topic, but let's let's go through some of this uh, this promotional video uh, uh, clips here, and then uh, definitely circle back and talk about uh, methodology uncertainty. Yeah. All right. So clip one. What if I told you that we don't actually know where our greenhouse gas emissions come from? Sounds crazy, right? But we don't really know. Up until today, we've had to rely on vague, high-level estimates that often come from the polluters themselves. And that information is often years out of date and almost always full of gaps and omissions. It's not data you can act on. Okay, right off the bat, how spooky and weird is that background yeah. music? <laughs> Legit. Like it's like this is this is dangerous. This is threatening. This yes, is like ominous. Um, it's like meant to like wow, isn't this scary? We don't know where the emissions are coming from <laughs> can, like, you, can you believe that we, we don't like uh actually uh, uh, everybody with like two like you know a, a functioning prefrontal cortex realized i don't know maybe uh, i'm giving people too much credit but i don't know <laughs> well i almost i i almost want to say that yeah there's definitely flaws 
and uncertainty and estimation going on in um, current inventories. But in some ways, it's, it, it seems a little um, untruthful to make the claim that we really don't know. We, we have a we have a good idea of where we expect them to be, and and I but I understand what he's trying to get at is it, for people that don't know, and I, I certainly didn't know, but the way you measure emissions is not as simple as say like measuring water use at your house, where you have a relatively accurate meter that is. Uh, in real time detecting how much water is flowing through your pipe at any given moment and that gives you a pretty accurate reading of 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 water usage for co2 emissions uh i know from working briefly at um environment canada uh, that and in their air emissions um department that we keep these uh inventories of which industries are emitting and how much they're emitting but a lot of that has to do with reports that come from those uh companies those those uh, those industries and uh those are entered in uh and there isn't necessarily a, a stack measuring exact co2 uh emissions it's more done i wager from how much of the the coal they burn for example we know how much co2 emit we're not measuring co2 as, as if it's water going through a pipe um, so, yes, we rely heavily on uh, the reporting from industry. Otherwise, we would basically require third-party government agencies to be pretty much at these industries on a day-to-day basis, m- making measurements and such like that. Um, there are third parties involved in checking and auditing, for sure. For sure they are, um, in Canada at least. But the there's not... Uh, there's not some government guy with a clipboard that's at these industries marking down on a piece of paper every day. Oh, they put this much coal in, and this is how much CO2 was emitted, type thing. Right. The the data that he's uh, speaking of, though, it's I think ironic because he he like you know in this intro thing he he just kind of says how there's gaps in it and how um, it, it's often comes from the polluters themselves, right? But at the same time, we just discussed when we were talking about climate trace and how one of the main inputs into their whole uh, calibration process is actually this very same data, which he criticizes. So <laughs> right. you see the yeah. Yeah. You see the irony. Well, so and that's just <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, sorry ahead. to cut you off, but I, yeah. that's just it. I listened to this video before doing any uh, reading up on the topic, and then to find out that. The same databases and inventories are still used as a calibration tool. It's like, wait, hold on a second. It, yeah, you, you know, you should be like again, like the this whole thing of like transparency yeah. of like and how it's just not really being transparent and honest with with that sense of of their methodologies because he's like, oh, this is so bad that we're doing this, but meanwhile, you're using that same data and then that implies that your calibrations are based off of what you claim to be improper data. So you've already called into question your whole 
methodology or like not even the methodology but the accuracy which again i go back to one of my criticisms is like you have to be talking about what is your what are your confidence level what are your calibrations uh, and the accuracies with which you were able to reproduce the um the, the, those emissions because this is all about you're putting in this data for future predictions mm -hmm. it's so that mm -hmm. you're able to then have a real-time assessment as they claim that's why you're trying to fuse these data sets together so then you can ba uh, do real-time learning okay so based on this history of emissions we know that okay these guys are operating at this amount these guys are operating at this amount so that but but again like that th that that transparency of that methodology just isn't there yeah yeah so i don't want to yeah i want to go into more into that that area but let's let's go jump to the next clip because i want to and and let's just listen to how that music changes right away this is <laughs> this, so basically what i've done just to everybody that doesn't know is i've taken that clip that's on the website there and cut it up into shorter pieces so this is going to continue right off of what we just heard that's why we're building climate trace our ultimate goal to create a comprehensive highly detailed up-to-date map of exactly where all global emissions are coming from and who is producing them how does it work we capture measurements from satellites and thousands of sensors based on land, in the sea, and in the sky. Data that's never been seen before. Climate Trace uses AI to verify the data, identify patterns, and provide new powerful insights. So decision makers will have all the information they need to make informed choices and reduce emissions. I have a problem with him saying that AI verified it. I feel like the correct thing to say is you verify it by calibrating the AI. AI doesn't. It's a weird one. I, I just feel it, it, you don't say because that AI is learning from the inputs that you give it and correcting it based off calibration, but. It was just interesting there, based off our current discussion, to hear him say "verified by AI." But exactly because uh, it's the AI will become the new god. Like <laughs> they will they will use AIs to validate any action because they'll say that the AI is the science. It's really what it comes down to. Yeah, that's why it's phrased in that way, and that's a good good pickup on that. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Oof. I wasn't going to go down that road yet, but uh, <laughs> yeah, let's put a pin in, in the AI is God. Uh, uh, but yeah, just the, the this whole clip, man, it's so, again, like the, this whole thing of like, who who are you? Are you going to be like the, the global police on CO2? Like who made you... We're going to give uh, policymakers all the data that they need in order to hold companies accountable. Like, who made you the the global CO2 police? Like, who, like right. what What are your interests in this? Are you, or are you just some dude that's really passionate about tracking CO2? Like, I don't know. There's just something really fishy over here. Not only that is they talk about in the report how Climate Trace is going to be kind of this objective third party. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
how can you be objective when you're Vice President Al Gore and you <laughs> literally were the one to politicize climate change unlike anybody we've ever seen before? How exactly how much have you profited off of this whole climate change thing? You know, like and then you're going to say it's objective like <laughs> you don't have any bias, really? You're just objective here? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's wild. It's wild. Um, and, and you hear in that clip that they're going to use this to inform policy. And this is going to be the way to, uh, to say, Hey, Hey, company X or country X, you're doing this. Oh, your per capita releases this. You need to cut down this. This is going to turn into a finger pointing mess at these, uh, climate meetings. I just that's that's the only sense of the outcome. I, I uh, or sorry, that is my sense of the outcome of of a program like this. But time will tell. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say how it's not going to be a, a finger pointing <laughs> exercise. And but at, at the end of the day, like it's like they're only going to point the finger at the people that it's convenient to point fingers at and because the rest of the people are just not going to care I, I don't know because they had things on on china and how their emissions in terms of uh mining i think were like three times over the global average or something but like okay so what are you going to do about that? Like, how are you going to force China to, I don't know. And why is, why is their mining so high? Is it because they produce a lot of the goods that the rest of the world uses? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. And, um, one small thing I, I actually wanted to, uh, point out was like this whole, uh, again, going back to their, like, just since we're talking about his whole claim of the scientific accuracy and the validity of their method and how, you know, just uh, we're going to better inform decision makers, right? V very, uh, very particular language because mm -hmm. he, he wants to inform people. So mm -hmm. let's look at um, in their uh, report that they actually um, released that documents how the kind of... Uh, the climate trace premise, how it works, give some examples. And um, it, it goes into an example of fires in in Russia or and, and the U.S. So it says... Forest fires, right? Yeah, forest fires, yeah. right? It says, while initial U.S. fire emissions for 2021 year to date have not yet passed 2020 totals, if fires persist on the country's west coast, emissions may end up higher than 2020. The 2021 year to date total is also a significant increase from totals for the years uh, 2015 to 2019 which ranged from 118 to 280 million uh, tons of co2 equivalent per year so they they don't really state what the first of all they don't really state what the emissions in 2021 are um but uh, aside from that um that's not the, that's not really the main issue. The main issue for me is that when when you use the term uh, in scientific literature, it, uh, significant, uh, uh, the term significant, right? Mm. When mm -hmm. they say like mm -hmm. the total is a, a significant increase from the total of the years 2015, 2019, then you have to 
typically follow that up with the p-value for the confidence interval. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Significant is legally a very problematic word in in scientific, and people, uh, most scientists and report scientific reports avoid using it unless it's backed up by statistical significant uh, length, uh, uh, value. And they usually have a whole section of the report um, discussing what they mean by that word. Right. So it's essentially a cardinal sin in science, let's put it that way, to use the term significant without having that mathematical statistical study to validate your claim. It's a huge no-no. Essentially, you cannot get published if a- any any academic journal worth its uh, merit, worth its salt, won't publish you unless you show your work for how you claim significance. Because again, that is a, as you said, a legal term, a very scientific term. It's a statistical term. So when he's talking about better informing politicians, policymakers. Well, let's see how you're better informing them with your terminology that is misused, inappropriate, and dangerous because the way that I see it is that there's a reason why there is such a importance put on this word because there's value in this word. So you can't use it just willy-nilly and then say, oh, we're better informing people. Well, you didn't even provide your p-value. What's your damn p-value, bro? <laughs> you even give me your p-value and they're going to say significant? You're going to talk about better informing policymakers? Get out of here. <laughs> Where's your p-value? That's What's exactly. your p-value? <laughs> that... that. <laughs> There's a t- there's a t- <laughs> t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. Yeah, branded. What's <laughs> I love it. What's your fever? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, let's let's finish off this uh, this guy's clip. Oh man. No more relying on self-reporting. No more waiting years to see if reductions are actually happening. And most importantly, no more hiding. We've already created a comprehensive inventory of emissions from every country with detailed emissions data from specific industries. Over time, we'll be able to monitor power plants, feedlots, airports, landfills, anything and everything that is creating the emissions that are driving the climate crisis. It's the ultimate tool to battle emissions. And it's being built by the leading experts in climate science and technology teaming up. <laughs> no, so more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more hiding. Yeah. No more hiding. When he laughs that laugh there, I wanted to say this about him laughing there. Okay. So the way I look at this is he he he's laughing at the fact that people are hiding the amount of emissions that they're producing. Oh, bad people. Terrible, terrible. Oil and gas. Bad, bad. You know, this is the problem we're facing right now. We're making it so that hiding, in some senses, is desirable because of the language, the demonization, and the lack of alternatives to industries that are going to suffer the most by perhaps letting people know what they're actually doing, right? Like, why would I lie to you about how much CO2 I'm emitting if I felt like 
something productive was going to come out of that. But if, if, you know, I just, his whole kind of view on this is definitely one that I think comes from kind of like a mm, kind of bitter and distrust of an industry that has, has lied in the past, but I want to go like, what was the, why is it that case? And you can definitely look at the current climate political climate uh, uh cultural climate not not environmental climate uh and, and go well there's certain reasons why people might be a bit more sensitive about talking about how much they're emitting it's very antagonistic yeah right and it's like painting yeah like when you're when you speak with that idea in mind like oh no more hiding it, it kind of frames it in, in that light where we we know these guys have been hiding their emissions for some sort of period of time but meanwhile he himself claims that the emissions from these companies are self-reported so it, it's kind of um like i'm not i'm not trying to stand up for freaking fossil fuel companies but it's kind of like a slanderous term because like literally these companies have to self-report as he himself said and then he's saying oh but but they're underreporting. they're they're actually hiding stuff right well can, can you i don't know sh show some cases of that happening and may maybe there are some where and that's been found i mean of course uh volkswagen that was a great oh, example yeah. with yeah. their um emissions hiding uh because of they were all altering it, it had a system where it could detect when it was being put into a test to uh verify its, its emissions so then it, it would tweak it and then it would show up as being lower than it actually was right so it's not to say that these types of uh, hiding of of data it doesn't happen from company but it's just when it comes to reporting and this kind of stuff it's I, guess, I mean, I guess it's a promotional video, so he's got to make it quick and snappy and that kind of stuff. But it's just, uh, again, like not, not really truthful. If you're going to like make claims like that, like, oh, they're hiding data. Like, well, what, what, what are, can you give some like specific examples? And again, not to say that there aren't any, but just in, in this context, because there, there's so much uh, information that's collected. There's so There are so many industries um and it is so heavily regulated, and even he said, even though he says that um, that oh okay they can, they can underreport. Well, in fact, there's often a lot of meta studies that take place, and I can tell you from my experience where you you actually have tracking and you're uh, over multiple years, right? So you have a series of data from industry that spans many years right and you're actually analyzing based on average median trends how all these companies compare relatively speaking so the government to, to, to had, one another to one another mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. so the government definitely has their their eyes on any types of outliers and of course it's not perfect right it's still things can still slip through the cracks but it is to say that these types of uh, analyses are being done to track where um, potential underreporting uh, might be happening. Where it's like, oh, okay, if you're a company of this magnitude, for example, and then we see an equivalent company and they're emitting double or they're reporting double the emissions, then that might be a bit of a red flag. Like, okay, let's follow up, see what's up. You guys are the same size as these guys here, but meanwhile, you're emitting or you're reporting half as much as emissions. So these types of studies do occur. And it's, uh, again, disingenuous is to say that oh all this underreporting the or they're hiding this stuff and 
um well i would just like to get some 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 evidence behind those claims yeah yeah and i can't think of or i don't know of any specific examples but i don't doubt that some exist so putting that just aside i also feel like the whole cap and trade system which is in place in canada uh well a framework of it is in place Mm -hmm. has pushed emission industries to try to accurately record their outputs because under that model there's a certain threshold you can emit up to and if you are under it you can use that uh the 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 difference between what you are allowed to emit and what you actually emit if it's lower to move those uh, trade that as a credit right so the idea that there's a you know a gross uh, systemic mis uh, uh, failure to report or or lying about reporting, I, you got to kind of question that. I know not all countries are doing a cap and trade, and maybe it's more prevalent the the poor records at, in in these countries. But I imagine just that most places that use a cap and trade system are doing an all right job. Do you, do you think that's a fair? Assessment? An all right job of what? All right job of accurately tracking their emissions because they're under a system where they have to prove that they actually released less than their their threat their allowed amount to collect on those credits what you're saying is they're operating in good faith right yeah we should theoretically be trustful of the data that they're reporting because or is that what you're saying and especially in places that have a cap and trade system it's not a system that's employed in all over the world but places that do have it likely are 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 more are well you want to say they're they're acting in good faith but they also have an incentive on to accurately report it especially if they're trying to show a difference like they've reduced they have lower emissions than than what they're allowed to emit because that that, that right credit, but if you're a bad emitter then you might want to under right something right so you're you disincentivized to do it 100 percent, 100 percent so I would say that, like, well, thinking about the data, one, one thing for me that's interesting is that his whole claim that they will be able to accurately measure, again, I go back to this idea, accurately measure data um, with their um, satellites, with their uh, models, with their artificial intelligence, right? With real-time measuring. And... And he, he, he purports that this is more accurate than the emissions data that's being reported by the companies. And he kind of glances past that. To me, that's a, you know, that, that's a strong claim because what you're saying is that your satellite data combined with your uh, AI, which you have in demonstrate and machine learning, which is again this black box that that is more accurate than the uh, actual data being reported um, from the companies themselves and I stay I say that the only way that that can be true is if again 
you push this idea that the companies are acting in bad faith, that they're underreporting. Because when you actually look at this claim that his satellite machine artificial intelligence predictions are more accurate than the reported data, to me, that is absolutely 100% impossible. Because if you're a natural gas power plant, if you're a coal-based power plant, as we discussed, you're not directly necessarily emission, uh, measuring the flow of water, right, as you would through a pipe. But you have, we, we have essentially uh, physics and chemistry on our side. We have the, the beauty of the conservation of mass and the uh, principles of mathematics that govern that. So we know that if we're burning X amount of methane, if we're burning X amount of uh, coal with the conservation of mass, that will generate X amount of product, right? We have stoichiometry, we have our chemistry, we know that X amount of methane will generate X amount of CO2. So I say that that is way more accurate because the companies know how much they're burning. They know how much they're operating. They have the numbers. They're the ones that are doing it. So for you to state that your satellite, I gotta go back, your satellite freaking AI bullshit is more accurate than the actual data from the companies, it can only be true if, again, your whole perspective is, again, again in this um, antagonistic, in this distrusting, um, adversarial, uh, adversarial uh, way, look at industry that they're just total liars, everything is false that they're reporting, which may be true, but I would like to see some data. I would like to see some data to, 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 to demonstrate that that is the claim because, again, like the data that they have for the emissions are going to be a thousand times more accurate than your freaking prediction, predicted models. Yes. I want to talk about <laughs> that. Well, you brought up lots of points there. Yeah, I, I, I went on a rant. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, so much to say about this subject. Yeah. Yeah. There's a oh, lot man. to say about this subject. And, and so I'm going to jump into something I, I wanted to talk about, which is this whole concept of remote sensing. Remote sensing has entered into the engineering field over the last couple of years. And I have seen it personally in, in my industry, which is uh, environmental remediation and environmental assessment of contamination, show up to replace um, things like doing a ground survey. So instead of Instead of you trying having to have a guy walk across the entire landfill to take elevation points, you send a drone over and uh, you collect all this uh, elevation data remotely. Another example, you're trying to determine how surface water flows over an area, uh, a large site, a large property. You can use, again, a drone to fly over with sens sensors on it and it takes these measurements and it says okay based on these measurements we put in that data into the software it says this is our catchment area we suspect all water that lands on this section of our site will drain to this point and all the water that goes on this section of the point will drain to this point however 
these are all just estimates because after you do that, you do something called ground truthing. And this is where you actually walk the areas that it's, that these uh, drones and these algorithms are, are saying are the ways the water go. And you look and say, is water actually flowing here? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes tr a tree cover and obstructions on the ground make the sensors go a little wacky and they think something's higher or lower than it really is. Sometimes a stream has an artificial uh, block in it, a beaver dam, a humans have literally infilled a stream or something like that. And there's no culvert through it. So something you s thought was flowing this way and going into this lake actually doesn't do that. So, and these are like the little details that you have to pick up after you've done uh, this larger global analysis with the remote sensors. And don't get me wrong, these remote sensors, because of what they are able to do with limited human effort, is incredible, right? Like it's, to do something like that would take so many hours of someone taking shots and, and working that out by hand, it would take so much time, it's so unaffordable. But now with sensors on drones, this type of stuff is taking taking over in engineering. So, so there's a question to you on that. Yeah. When you have the initial scans that the drones do, and then when you have to do the ground truthing, the follow-up, what degree of inaccuracy do you notice? If you can sum it up in, in some sort of number, uh, for example, you know, based off of the theoretical map that, that uh, the software gives versus the ground truthing, like is it you know 50% accurate, 80% accurate? What, is there a number you could put onto it? Or From, it from what I have seen, and I have limited uh examples to point to but from what i've seen uh accuracy is is pretty good i would say it's upward of 90 percent for the general uh determination of something like elevation elevation is something and here's the thing because it can't this is kind of like apples and oranges what we're going about to compare here climate trace is its own thing we're talking satellites in space measuring right. gases we're talking a drone sitting you know you know, f 200, 400 feet above the ground surface. It's, 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 yeah, it's a lot easier. It's a lot yeah, easier like, to get, yeah, yeah. To, right. You're just digging a signal and then just seeing how quickly it takes to come back to it. And based on that, pretty much mapping out the elevation. And so, so it's a lot easier to do. It's a lot easier. It's, it's going to be, but it's an example of how the technology is becoming more and more uh, used in industry. Not only that is how, uh, how you use that data uh, determines how accurate it can be. So it's like, yes, uh, great. The drone accurately depicted where surface water is going to go. But if the goal is to determine the contam, oh, is the contaminant in surface water making it into the lake via a channel? That drone actually was very bad at determining that because it didn't see the blockage in the creek that literally meant that 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 contaminant in the groundwater never f flows into directly into the lake. It thought it did because it wasn't able to see at a very small scale, the, the mist dam. And so maybe the contaminant is still getting in the lake, but it has to get into the lake through groundwater flow, which has got its own other set of, um, uh, you know, things to consider. So, uh, you gotta be careful. It's like, yes, it was, it was good at depicting elevation data, but if you're trying to use that to determine something else, Mm -hmm. Got to be a little careful because there's are that there's in the um, what do they call it granularity. So everything starts, you know, you got a high grains, you you have high resolution. That means like you're looking at things very detailed, right? 
but it's it's what's missed in in between those grains that can be the difference of direct flow of a contaminant into a, a to a lake versus it entering through groundwater which mm-hmm. is a which is a pretty big difference yeah i think those are the things with these technologies like that we need to just be transparent about and well companies like climate trace anyways need to be transparent about and not try to frame it as this uh end all be all solution like uh, how he says like oh we have the one tool like uh, this is all you need we have the magical tool and he uses all the buzzwords oh we have the leading climate scientists that are working on the climate crisis so he's using all the right terms all the right words but you know what he's not doing he's not talking about all this stuff all the potential inaccuracies of using these types of uh technologies because it's uh, it's a it's 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 a solution that should shouldn't be questions at all because it's doing all the buzzwords it's doing all the it's targeting climate crisis which is really important it has climate scientists whatever that is and that's they're really important and you shouldn't question whatever they tell you because th- th- this is all for for the global good and how dare you question any of it and we're not going to tell you any of our assumptions for for example how things are going how how uh, think how the data has c- come together how things were calibrated how things compared to the actual data what is the uh, si- si- what is the uh, error the the margin of error associated with it just so many questions that arise from this stuff you know yeah yeah and i think a lot of that comes out of the fact that this climate trace program is a coalition, I think is what they call it, a global coalition. So it's a group of independent companies that are are using using different methodologies to collect the data. But, you know, I'm sure... or I, I would I would hope that if we went to each of those coalitions and we kept digging into their technical papers, we, we would get a we would get more into the weeds of these uncertainties and 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 they actually are reporting that. But that aside, are you sure? I I would hope. <laughs> you know, yeah. Okay, I would hope. But yeah. Here, but, okay, so just listen. <laughs> listen. What I'm trying to say here is, if you think of of the website Climate Trace as being uh, kind of the head of it, and it's got all these little independent guys feeding in information you would hope as you get down into the weeds of the companies that are actually doing it you find these numbers however me saying that does not negate the fact that climate trace needs to be more transparent overall putting uncertainties on because here's how this exactly works and we know this from you know our engineering uh schooling background is you you've got four numbers and you're about to multiply them and three of those numbers are really accurate. They've got decimal points maybe down into the thousands, you know. But then there's one that's, you know, it's it, it maybe is a couple hundred. It's got very poor accuracy. That completely destroys the outcome if you're multiplying those factors together, uh, the the certainty of that final number, right? And that creates the error bar. And if you go onto their website and you look at the numbers the dashboard is 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 outputting. One way to consider it is the significant figures that they're showing. So if they're just showing in millions of tons, like 1.3 millions of tons, you can assume there are probably air bars plus or minus a million. That's what they should be doing. If they start showing things down to the hundreds of ton or something, then either they are 
certain that they are down to that level of plus or minus 100 or they are grossly uh, misleading in their claims. And that is the type of uh, uncertainty and air bars that should be presented, but I'm not seeing being presented. And that's worrisome, right? Yeah, it's very worrisome because, again, I, I it's just like the whole premise is based off of machine learning like i go about go back to this like it's all you're claiming transparency but yet what does machine learning imply it implies that there's a progression of learning that you're gonna go from low level of intelligence to a high level of intelligence you're learning from low to high right so that implies that your initial predictions your initial estimates aren't going to be accurate and over time, they're going to get better. Hmm. Well, if that's the case, then you should be able to demonstrate that. You should be able to track and show, look, we, we're using machine learning and it's improving. It started out because it's an, machine learning is an iterative process, right? Yep. And when you have anything that's iterative, it's all based off of running some sort of a loop many, many times until you get to an optimized point of solution. And when you, you have a situation like this, you, what, what is the optimum that, that you're searching for? What is the optimum solution? And uh, the, these climate trace uh, things that, that are trying to find that optimum, that are trying to point to that optimum solution, it, it implies that it takes time. It takes, it's, again, it's a loop. It, it's, it's iterations, one, two, three, four. You got to do it. So you should be able to demonstrate that, right? You should be able to demonstrate mm -hmm. how your machine is learning, how it's taking in the data, and it's able to process it at, at a better rate. And at first, look, our, our level of accuracy was this much, but then, look, over time, it's learning. It's actually improving. It's getting better. Like, oh, isn't that great? That would be exciting. And, like, it would totally feed. And if you had something like that, and you were able to be transparent and truly with uh, demonstrating how you're actually putting this data together then i would be all on board but so far not saying that yeah i want to read i think this is the last paragraph in the executive summary and it says as continue uh, as a continual <laughs> let me try, let me start this again uh as a continually improving project developed by a global coalition climate trace welcomes feedback from experts and peer reviewers in addition, we also invite new collaborators who have, have domain experience, access to high-quality ground truth data, here they're talking about ground truthing, that could be used to train the algorithms or have experience in sectors not yet covered by Climate Trace. So they're actually pitching um, in their executive summary to uh, that they need to get more experts, more peer-reviewed, more... Uh, ground high high quality ground truth data in it so and this comes around let's let's try for a moment to play devil's advocate and, and talk about the positives of a program like this i'm gonna i'll give a shot at it first Please. okay so co2 is uh is, is an em em emission uh, uh greenhouse gas that is uh causing global warming global warming climate uh, is is resulting in climate change and there are negative impacts of climate change that are going to affect uh, humans and other ecological receptors on this planet uh, disruption so th the idea is 
if we could understand where humans or just in general where co2 is coming from uh we can do a better job at managing uh managing those co2 emissions and actually meeting uh targets um that we place at these global meetings for um trying to meet uh, goals to prevent a 1.5 degree warming of the planet and the current system is uh it's got bad data and we talk about on this pro on this on this podcast models that get bad data produce bad data or produce bad results um so garbage in garbage out so the the kind of the move right now is we collect a bunch of data we're in a data-driven world there's so much data that we no longer can rely on human brains to uh, analyze it all. Um, they can't do it fast enough and they can't really see sometimes the bigger picture. We train AI computer algorithms to do this for us. It produces uh, recommendations. It produces conclusions. And what we're trying to do ultimately is manage the situation when it comes to human impacts on this planet through managing co2 outputs to mitigate the more disastrous outcomes of climate change that will impact humans and ecological receptors that is i think the the pitch that they're trying to make here okay I guess I would say the question is you, you can agree with all that stuff and yeah. it can be coming from a good hard place and it could be well-intentioned, that kind of stuff. But then my, my question would be then, okay, let's say, yes, we're all on the same page and we agree on all that you just said. However, what is the methodology by which we're going to get the results, I guess, that we're, that we're looking for? So it, to me, it's like, okay, yeah, we agree. We need to track more. We need to understand the CO2 emissions better. We need to, and then through that better understanding, right, uh, more data, then we'll have a better sense of where emissions are taking place and maybe, okay, these are areas that we could focus on to reduce emissions, whatever. But I go back to this premise that I want to say of how, it's really fundamentally flawed, I think, with this whole approach because we're, we're creating more and more data. Again, I go back to methodology, how we're going to do it, and how he purports is climate trace will be a tool for policymakers. So, again, when I go back to how we, okay, we're on the, all on the same page, but how are we going to apply this? Okay, what we're going to do is give climate trace this tool to policymakers to then make a decision. So, but when we think about it, what we're doing is taking an exponential amount of data that you just collected and you you just admitted how so there's so much data that you need to have machine learning and AI and this and that in order to create these complex uh, prediction methodologies, these tools that you would then put into hands of people that is the problem so if i had two issues with this is one is accuracy it, it can it be as accurate as they claim it 
can be because if it's not then we're again we're stuck right back to bad data in poor bad data out type the second is how is it actually going to be used what is how is it going to be actually administered in real time when we talk about managing co2s and we haven't gone into this but how is that going to look in the real world because and 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 what is the objectivity if we're talking about the groups that are are uh behind this we are talking about a group of people that think a certain way and are okay with using words like climate catastrophe you know they're okay with uh demonizing uh industry they're okay with these type of things so you would you know to me i think i get a little scared about what kind of data they're using to well not just a bit it becomes it becomes very concerning to me and so the thing that I worry about, especially when I read in the executive sum- summary, the discussion around uh, the results from uh, the last two years showing how much CO2 has dropped off because of uh, COVID shut- lockdowns. So there is going around the internet this idea that there might come a time where climate lockdowns are a thing and and <laughs> you can laugh all you want at that but when you have a report talking about how much uh a power sections em- em- emissions dropped in 2020 2021 due to lockdowns um if the threat becomes high enough if the climate threat becomes high enough or the belief that it, it becomes high enough in our culture the reality is this this is already presenting uh this is how we would do it this is how we would curb it we just lock down for a couple weeks and would meet our targets type type thing and i will read you a section from the executive summary typical national emissions inventories are aggregated annual are aggregated annual emission numbers for many sectors climate trace will be able to document data on a finer time scale such as monthly or weekly emissions fluctuations from certain sectors and individual assets. So sectors and individual assets. We'll come back to both of those. For example, data from Climate Trace member Watts and Times and Transition Zero for the three coal fire plants in India show changes in emissions that resulted from the impacts of major national events, such as India India's COVID-related lockdowns and civil protests that disrupted power plant operations. Second example, looking back at 2020, granular time series data from Climate Trace members, Ocean Mind confirmed a sudden sharp decline in maritime-related emissions as p- pandemic lockdowns and travel restrictions brought a temporary halt to cr- to the cruise ship industry. So right there, they're talking about how lockdowns have impacted it and how certain assets like cruise ships affect it. So in a, in a time where currently... Um, the current situation with Russia and Ukraine and Russian oligarchs and, and sanctions. There, there are people talking about seizing assets, uh, ships, um, you know, the, the level to which a program like this could be used now to dictate, okay, it's okay for these guys to travel or, or that ship to go because it's serving a bunch of people. But if it's one guy in a big ship, and he's emitting this much, what are we going to do with that? You know, 
how are they going to manage the criteria to which they use the technology? And that comes down to all technology. It's like technology is, can, it is inherently uh, not good or evil. It's really in the hands of the people that manage it. Bro, I, I, I just realized it. I just realized how they're going to do it. Enlighten me. <sighs> oh, my God. So, remember during the carbon tax episode when we were talking about Elon Musk and how he was saying how, you know, what's going to happen with the carbon tax is naturally the uh, companies are just going to end up uh, charging higher price of gasoline or a higher charge of electricity. So, it's going to go down to the consumer, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, keep that in mind. So, with this whole climate trace thing, right? Remember how I said with their assets, they claim that they're going to be able to track how much airplanes and ships are emitting. And okay, so we know uh, airplanes, they'll be emitting this much uh, CO2, right? Okay bringing back the idea of the consumer, how things will trickle down to the consumer. As with the carbon tax, the price trickling down to the consumer at the pump and at electricity. When we're tracking the CO2 up to the degree of specificity that they claim of, a, of an airplane or a boat, then thinking of monitoring it and regulating it from the cons to down to the consumer level, they're going to be able to essentially dictate to people, oh, you know what, you, that, that trip to, um, you know what, uh, Australia, you wanted to take a little trip there, well, that's going to be surpassing your uh, CO2 credits. Um, so, so you know what, uh, we, we can't allow you to uh, purchase that, that ticket um because again it's going to trickle down to the consumer everything comes down to manipulating and managing consumer behavior so that's my theory of how that this is going to trickle down to the every day person at the top of this episode i made the offhand joke about this being big brother in the sky and what i meant by that was Big Brother is not just in Orwell's 1984 is, is an idea for always being watched, but it's it's an idea of control and uh, control at a higher level from a from a government agency. And it's what you're outlining there is something not too far off from like a social credit system where there are certain social metrics by which you are allowed to do certain things in your life. And you have, you know, if you surpass it if 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 we make carbon emissions the uh, some you know something that is is of that level this is going to limit what you can do basically because you're gonna and and how are they going to how are they going to know or how are they going to have the technology to to say you've met these things it's through programs like this the ai god the ai god Bro, this is terrifying. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know, man. Like, this is uh, the more I think about it. Uh, yeah, 
because again, I go back to okay, I might agree with uh, some of his premises. Okay, we need better tracking. We need better this, better that, more information. But then again, it goes back to okay, you're taking all that and then putting all this data, all these complex tools in the hands of policymakers, and you're centralizing that decision-making power into the hands of a select few. And that's where I go back to how this methodology is fundamentally flawed because although you're claiming that you're using such sophisticated methods to track and this and that, you're fundamentally funneling all that down to the bottleneck of a policymaker. What, they're supposed to take all these tools and analyze them and then uh, based on, on like, based on that they're supposed to what make some sort of relevant policy it goes back to the idea of the beauty of the market in that it's it's uh the markets are decentralizing their decision-making power right they don't which is good in the sense that it's not one person that has to analyze all the data which is fundamentally what al gore is proposing and how that's flawed is that one person analyzing an infinite amount of data is impossible. But when you distribute that analysis where you have a marketplace, so everybody, and oftentimes market is like a dirty word, but market just refers to everybody, me, you, everyone. When, when the market is the one that's responsible for taking in this complex information, well, now you've disseminated the computational power necessary to understand this complex info, uh, analyze it, understand it, and then make some sort of rational, calculated reaction from it. That's why the, the markets are, in my opinion, one of the greatest inventions of uh, humankind and because of that capacity to take large sets of information and not have just one freaking policymaker, one person and doesn't matter how smart you are you're going to be limited in how you're able to process a certain amount of data and you're again you're disseminating that processing again right uh, it's, it's the old adage of two heads are better than one well now you have a million heads and they're all taking in the complex data the information that's being fed into it and responding in a, in a rational manner and that's why i go back to this whole thing of like this climate trace all these great tools but putting it down into just the hands of policymakers no 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 that's no. very flawed yeah yeah okay so i think it was jack dorsey and elon were on twitter going back and forth talking about uh, how they should change algorithms in on tech platforms and what jack dorsey was I might be wrong on this, but he was saying there should be a selection of, of the type of algorithms you want to apply to your experience online. Online, And Elon was saying we should have open th open source algorithms so you can see exactly what's going on. I think, you know, the climate trace has uh, the potential to be this evil thing. Let's just call it that. <laughs> if, if used wrong. If, if it starts to control everyday person's life, right? But... I don't think it has to be that, right? Like if it, if you could truly do what they want to do and say it's open and transparent, you get down into the methodology and you open all the algorithms up and you actually have that available to everybody to so everybody can kind of honestly use this tool, maybe like Google Earth in a, in a sense, like everybody gets to see what it's doing, everybody gets to see what it does, and it, and it, and it's not being used to uh, propagate. Uh, or, or um, 
or to uh, enforce uh, some sort of uh, rationale for climate lo- uh, lockdowns or uh, or the, the the shutting down of assets or the the everyday movement of of an, a person because we don't even need to get into this, but like how ridiculous it is to to control the use of some person who just was uh, you know born onto this earth and has had no influence over the world and the state of affairs and and now their their life is being controlled because of that this policy. Those are dark kind of dystopian futures. But in another sense, in this open source, in just purely collecting data, being transparent about how it's being used, understanding what these algorithms are doing and the AI is trying to do. I mean, that is a powerful tool that that could be used for good. It can be used for good. Again, depending on how it's used. I think that's the key with tools is that tools are just tools and how they're used can can sometimes you know a hammer can be used to build but a hammer can also be used to destroy so yeah again uh, that's that's why i go back to my my premise that it's i may agree with a lot of what's being stated a lot of what's maybe what they're doing but i go back to if it's being all filtered down into a bottleneck of okay if we're going to put this tool into the hands of policymakers and then they're going to make great decisions as a result history would say otherwise yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, there's one more uh clip here i think l- from l- yeah or? let's play that clip and and then i want to talk about who's funding this <laughs> with climate trace we're making the invisible visible Join us, join us, join us, join us, join us. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Oh, that was a gl- that, oh, that that I clipped that one wrong. That was that was odd. That was something must have messed up at the end of that. You must have got the uh, uncut version. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he must yeah. have got the, the <laughs> editor's uncut wow. version. <laughs> yeah, if you, I, I all I did was slow down the end and reverse the audio, and then oh, think, damn. and that's what came out. You know <laughs> what the <laughs> suspect suspect. <laughs> <laughs> oh Join man me. yeah it uh it has the bit of that vibe i'm not gonna lie it does it does okay so <laughs> who, who's funding this uh this is directly from the website um and it it's under their vision so yeah the journey began in 2019 when two of our founding coalition members received a google.org grant okay so google.org is the charity end of google to use satellites to monitor emissions from power plants from space using satellites. The project opened conversations with many researchers and advocates around the world who started asking, could we monitor nearly all human-caused greenhouse gases emissions globally? Our answer is yes. And so Climate Trace and so this Climate Trace Coalition launched in July 2020 and now counts and now counts 11 nonprofits, tech companies, universities, and former Vice President Al Gore as a member. With our first data release in September 2021, we are providing the first comprehensive accounting of greenhouse emissions based primarily on direct, independent observation. Together, we're making greenhouse gas emissions visible by tracing the root of the, cr- by tracing the root of the climate crisis. We're working to help solve it. So that's that's right on their vision uh, on their website uh, when they discuss their vision. But uh, I think there 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 are multiple um, 
fun- funders of this project. Um, I don't fully know the other ones, but I believe Google was was one of the biggest ones. So, so uh, again, kind of lacking transparency, I would say. I didn't, well, really, no, I didn't really get much info there. Yeah, or like well, who? Well, uh, specifically, like that was just very broad. You know, in terms of transparency, um, they. I'm not sure how this works. If they're obligated to show how much each is putting uh, towards the project, uh, but I know that there is on their website a whole list of of people funding it, the organizations. I just, okay. I, I haven't, uh, I didn't bother copying them for this. Okay. Maybe unfair statement, but yeah, you should look into that. The funding. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the last few clips that I took was just uh, a CBS report uh, talking about climate trace. And I, th- I think um, what you're going to hear is uh, a lot of what we already discussed, but it's uh, basically a CBS reporter came out to uh, Al Gore's estate there. Um, Al Gore was taking him around, telling him how he was taking soil samples uh, to measure uh, soil quality and, and <laughs> such. <laughs> you know, it was it was a f- it was funny because he <laughs> <laughs> try any harder. <laughs> you know like, what? I know you ain't taking those soil samples. Like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I look I, me on my farm taking he, my soil samples, <laughs> and he, he even admits as he's driving, he's like, "This is not something I normally do." He's totally doing this for the interview, but okay. uh, yeah. Anyways, okay, good for well, him. Keep, at least. Yeah, keep that in mind when you listen to this, though. It's amazing how precise this is. To get- Gore is a major investor in a new tech platform called Climate Trace. It uses satellites, sensors, and artificial intelligence to track greenhouse gas emissions around the globe. Gore believes this will be an important tool to hold countries accountable for their pollution. We're not the climate cops. We're maybe the uh, neighborhood watch. <laughs> Okay, so, <laughs> 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 ha, not the cops. Um, more the neighborhood watch. I, I think you even brought this up earlier. You, you know, of course they, they joke about it, but this—it's so obvious to most uh, people that this is what it's likely to become, especially coming out of the U.S. I, I mean, I mean that in the sense that the U.S. is definitely a country known to stick their nose in other people's business. And be it's a, it's a land of regulations. Yeah, much uh, of the West, uh, but yeah, they love regulations. They love uh, regulations, and I wanted to really point out how that clip began, and it was the uh, interviewer looking down at the computer, and he said, "It's amazing how precise this is." And then it cuts to him explaining it. It was just like <laughs> smooth, so, smooth. Yeah, right. Uh, it was like, oh d- d- yeah, with your professional <laughs> eye there, Mister Interviewer Man. Oh, how precise this is. Yeah, you had your little analysis that you were able to validate that through your years of experience. Yeah, in, in computational machine learning. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> like, get, get out of here. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, all all that I w- I'm just doing with these clips is uh letting uh letting us digest the way it's being discussed and the way the founding member um 
Al Gore is talking about it because I think, you know, that and that if that speaks volumes to how how much we should worry about what is to come from this, right? If it were another person pushing this and if this person was getting in front of all the criticism that is going to come down the line of a program like this, people might feel more open to to this technology being out there. But I just think the way that Al Gore is presenting it, the way he laughs at certain parts of it, I just don't... <laughs> I don't get an easy feeling about, <laughs> yeah. about this. You know what I mean? Like he's already <laughs> anticipating that there's going to be people saying like, what are you trying to do here? Like, oh, hey, we're not going to, we're not the uh, climate cops. Like, because he knows like that's going to be the knee jerk reaction uh, from people. So he, I guess he's getting ahead of the critics, um, which is wise. But yeah, it's it's just, and, and just the fact that he's a, a huge investor is, are they for profit or are they? Um, do you know about that? Is uh, is climate trade? Uh, I don't I, know. I, do, I, I know there's nonprofits involved with it, but <laughs> over, if if climate traces mm-hmm. nonprofit itself, I have no idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be curious, like how again, guys, going back to that funding question of how that works, because if Gore is a big investor in it, then. Is it? Uh, but is he running it as a for-profit company, or is it a? <clears throat> a I can't a, imagine a charity. Is. is it based like a charity? <clears throat> uh, so I'd just be uh, curious to get those. They could do probably like a whole episode on that, if anything. Yeah, going into the finance side of things. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it, I think it it is valuable to see how it's being received in media, and um, you can I guess see how this guy is maybe very uh, the the interviewer that is he's very receptive and kind of not um not not too challenging He's and that's my problem with a lot of up his uh, interviewers these days it's like they uh, your job is to ask questions but all i feel like a lot of interviewers are doing is they is the bare minimum which is they come up with a couple interesting questions and i i know for politicians those questions get vetted and cut and axed and whatever but it's like he's not a politician anymore i'm sure this guy could have asked him some hardball questions but it's just like they'll come in they'll ask their you know uh already uh, established questions they'll listen to the response and they won't follow up or ask any like more questions about it they just go yeah. to the next question it's like it's not Dude. in the script. <laughs> it's not in the script, bro. That's why. Yeah, yeah. They're not okay. gonna ask no follow up question. Oh. What you mean? Thinking? What actually <laughs> listening to what they're saying and then like having some sort of original thought and then actually communicating that? God Whoa. forbid, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like you would have to come up with an ad lib response to a question you didn't expect. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, this is this is so amazing. You're, you're so smart. You're so wonderful. Tell me more. Like, you're such a good person. Like, can you legit like get get the uh, the bedside lotion uh, <laughs> ready? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lie back. Yeah. On the, uh, okay, let's jump into the second clip. Yeah. 
Uh, but our neighborhood is the whole world. We're in constant communication with the scientific community. Al Gore has been sounding the climate alarm for more than four decades. First as a young congressman. The Arctic is experiencing faster melting. And then 15 years ago with his planetary PowerPoint in the film An Inconvenient Truth. The crisis is still getting worse faster than we're deploying the solutions. There is a remaining question about whether we will solve it in time. He's still optimistic, mainly because of young people all over the world now demanding change. We solve it in time. And this the is mark like of any good salesman is put a pressure. time. No, no, yeah, yes. Put and put a time. Uh, the, the time element at yeah, the urgency. End of your, exactly the urgency. That there's yeah. a time. It's a limited offer. It's exactly exactly. Get it while it's here. Exactly, man. Exactly. Like it, you know. And it's it doesn't take yeah. It doesn't take much to identify these things, and then um, they transition into the whole activism part of it. And uh, I cut it right here because I wanted to ask you, what do you think? Uh, how or I should say. What do you think Al Gore thinks of activism and kids? Do you think he's pro it, against it? What, 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 like, what is his? What is his? <laughs> is that a serious question? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you think it's? <laughs> you think a wild shot in the dark? Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Say tell he's, me. he's probably for pro at more activist youth. Well, let's play that clip and next clip and see what he says. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's let's see. I want them to, in the words of Spinal Tap, I want them to turn it up to an eleven. Feet to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And the more they can march, the more noise they can make, the more demands they insist upon, the the faster progress we'll make. I'm a firm believer in that. And he still believes the climate crisis we created is one we can also solve. The direction of travel is clear, and I do believe that we will get there. Oh, he, he loves those activists because they're going to drive progress, as in the progress of the return on his investment into this technology because every single one of those children that's a fucking activist for his cause is increased dollars for him to make back in for, for free because they're literally free advocates for why his technology is so great so yeah he's gonna love the shit out of all those young activists because they're gonna drive those politicians right into his hands yeah yeah man i i honestly and you know Maybe it is something we we'll, we should get into at, at another time. The whole finance of it, but even if it's nonprofit, there's obviously people getting paychecks to work on these, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm sure he loves having the uh, misinformed, uh, over-socialized youth, anxious, ready to neurotic, riddled with fear, climate. Of of a catastrophe impending on the streets yelling in favor of his tools he lo he would love that i'm sure because he, like he says in his own word it is a catastrophe and he's not sure but it could be a catastrophe very 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 very, very soon very soon we need to act now 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 yeah <laughs>
I'm not sure if we'll solve it in time, but there's a limited time, limited time offer. But I do believe we can still solve it. Yeah, exactly, man. And it's so, I don't know, Al Gore. It's it's interesting. Yeah, when when you again go back to like the CBS thing and how like how he's being received and how it goes through his history of like, oh, he has forty years of talking about you know the climate change and um, this and that, and then it doesn't talk about how there's so many of his predictions that were inaccurate or wrong first and foremost. And then not only that, but it, it doesn't really talk about how his influence and his his just like being so in the middle of it all, like how how that is shaping his mind in the sense that like he he's just so like hook, line and sinker on this path that like th- there's very, you know, and you know maybe you, you need that to be a determined person that's going to build some sort of organization that's going to have an impact if you truly believe in your cause but it can definitely lead to uh, i guess blinders and blind spots and because you're so set in your way but again when you look at his history when you look at the predictions from the 80s 90s inconvenient truth and all the things that he said that were going to happen that they didn't happen and yet he's still taken so seriously and yet and then he's saying these things like oh th- things are only going faster things only increasing and yet when we see historically how wrong he's been like how, how are we why are we still taking this guy so seriously like how does he still have like a place at the table <laughs> you know like it's just doesn't make sense unless again you go back to that funding which we that might be a part two on this to really start to track the money man because yeah that just, tells a whole different story exactly exactly you know yeah he is uh he's an interesting character and uh your point about how how come we still take him seriously is uh, i mean man i don't know i don't know it's certainly with his track record and certainly his track record as a political figure not even as a scientist or an engineer but as somebody who has worked in the political space, understands marketing, understands all the things, you know, when he gets up and he says things a certain way, don't be naive. He he knows what he's doing when he says things like this, right? And uh, yeah, you know, these guys, <laughs> this is the, this is kind of uh, an eye opener. I think some people need to realize is that these political figures, which will shoot up into our the everyday eyes because they'll you know they're running for president or whatever and then they disappear they're not god you know mm-hmm. you, we, we said why is he coming back into light you, you still have to search pretty far to find stuff about climate tra- trace like we're, we're 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 talking about it because we talk about these type of things on the podcast what we do son we break th- these things down and so you don't have to. You can live a normal life, and we nerds can do this bullshit for you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're fucking welcome. <laughs> we enjoy it. We enjoy it. We love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might sound like we're a little frustrated by it, but we enjoy this. We, we No we, resentment we do, whatsoever. We do enjoy yeah, this. Sure, um, my point being is that we don't hear about it. And then out of the blue... 
2000, 2001, suddenly Al Gore is back with this, you know? So, you know, there's a behind the scenes in the meeting rooms, uh, obtaining funding for a program like setting up uh, a program like this with all the different um, companies and universities that are involved in this. This is no small thing. This is, you know, this has been worked on uh, probably, I don't know when this came into conception, but I imagine for at least last six years, I imagine there must have been people working behind it. And now we're just hearing about it, just hearing about it right Mm -hmm. after the last two years we've had and and where everything is at. It's just, uh, it's. It's something that we we definitely will have to keep an eye on and see how it progresses. But it's a yeah very very concerning when, as you said in in their main report, they uh, they have um, basically five years of data that they've tracked from twenty fifteen to twenty twenty, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and yet they they highlight as you said the the year and the difference between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one with the lockdown and then post and then they have the percentage bars per month of how much it's gone up relative to when we had the lockdown and it's just yeah like they really focused in on that to show the difference oh look and uh just throwing that out there no uh <laughs> oh just conveniently pointing out that uh there was a huge difference uh, between these two years when we had lockdown and no lockdown and emissions and we're all focused on how we're going to control emissions but there's no connection and it's just yeah very it's again i go back to these tools put into the hands of policymakers for the sake of control for the sake of this whole social credit tracking and as we know it always gets passed down to the consumer where it's a carbon tax whether it's something like this uh yeah man it's we're definitely gonna have to revisit this subject and I think that it's of utmost importance. And if you're listening to this, if you resonate with this subject, please share it with somebody else that you think that might benefit from hearing this conversation and becoming more aware of what's going on with these subjects because I truly believe uh, awareness is the first step, of course. And we need more and more people talking about these subjects, talking, having these conversations because... Um, the, the the impacts as we've seen through the last couple of years with lockdowns and the control and the fear and how the language all the terminology every it's a concerted effort how even Al Gore himself is using the talks of climate crisis and this and that it's yeah there, there's some there's some things coming down the pipeline definitely uh, yeah. definitely and like we've said it is a technology uh, and technology is a tool. There's nothing inherently good or evil about it, in our opinion. It's how it's used. And how it's used is dictated by policy. And these policies are written by men and women who have a certain idea idea of, of the state of affairs. And so that is what we need to bring focus to. So by you know sharing this with people, uh, you are at least informing them on this technology. You are um, presenting to them the... Uh, aspects that need to be considered and criticized and, the, and and perhaps you have some questions yourself now to ask uh, should somebody bring this up and you know that's what we're trying to do here that's so it. 
so if you like this, maybe you'll like another one of our episodes. Check us out uh, on any podcast app. Uh, go to our website, www.firstprinciplespodcast.com or check us out on social media. We're on Instagram at first principles pod and the i in first is a one so it's first one principles pod that's it and uh last thing is break down from the ground up guys that's what we do that's why we're here and keep on keep on pushing that's it (laughs) peace everyone peace out